Good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. It's so great to be together today at Rolling Hills Nashville and Nolensville and Franklin and online and just see what our God is doing. I'm standing here at the Sea of Galilee and uh, how amazing is this? And we've been studying Jesus' teaching ministry. We launched this brand new series last Sunday. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and watch uh, because God is challenging us and growing us as disciples. And Jesus was walking along those shores right there calling his disciples, you know, come follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me. I've got an adventure for you. And I'm going to make you something that you're not. I'm going to grow and develop you. And then he brought them up on a mountainside. And all these people joined in, right? We saw in Matthew chapter 5 last week that the crowd surrounded Jesus. And Jesus sat down, but he began to teach them. He poured into his disciples. And he started teaching them about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is really like. And he was contrasting it to the religion of the day, is contrasting it to the secular movement of the day. And he said, you know, you are different. You are a disciple. You are called to follow me. And this morning, we're going to unpack, you know, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 48. And Jesus is going to talk about being the fulfillment of the law. And he's saying, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And think about this, he's talking to these disciples that he's called, right? These 12 men, and they all grew up going to synagogue. They were Jewish men, you know, who had grown up. Now they weren't like professional seminary students. They weren't, you know, like going for master's level. They were fishermen, they were business guys. They were ordinary people like you and me. But Jesus calls them and they have this background. And he says, I didn't come to do away with all that. Right, I didn't come and do away with the Old Testament and the things that you were taught. Do you know Old Testament? Testament literally means covenant. So you've got the Old Covenant and now we're into the New Covenant. So Jesus is coming and saying, I wanna teach you something. I wanna teach you something more. You know, I was blessed to grow up in a, in a Christian home and I went to a great church uh, growing up. I had an awesome children's ministry and student ministry. And that's why we're so passionate here at Rolling Hills about, you know, having our kids involved in preschool, children, students, our family ministry at all of our campuses. We want to put an emphasis there because we want to grow and raise up disciples. But I remember being a kid and going to church and we would get stickers, right? You know, if you brought your Bible, you got a sticker. If you, you know, memorize the scripture, you got a sticker. And, and if you brought a friend, you got a sticker. And these things were there to reinforce um, but sometimes, right, you could do it just to get the sticker, right? That became your motivation. It's like, I am getting a sticker, you know? And, uh, and at some point, it, it moves. At some point, it should become about a relationship. And it becomes about, hey, I want to bring God's word. I want to dive deeper. I want to memorize scripture because I want to know God more. And so these guys are there and Jesus is going, I'm not ruling out the things that you were taught. I'm not like abolishing those things that you grew up learning. You memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. I, but I'm coming to fulfill that. You see, I'm coming not just to be about religion. I'm coming to be about a relationship. I'm coming for so much more. Now take what you've been taught and apply it, live it. See, we can still do this today, right? You can go on version and you get badges and you read and have your devotional. Fantastic. It's great. But, right, if you were just there to get the badge or you were just there to get the sticker, you could fall into what happened to a lot of people when it became about religion. I'm going to show up at the temple. I'm going to sacrifice, you know, for my sins. And I'm going to go back and live however I want. And Jesus comes along and says, no, it's something different. And then he goes into this, you've heard it said, right? He said, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I'm telling you, don't even hate your brother in your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, 
Don't even lust after someone in your heart. You've heard it said, you know, you can, you know, divorce for any reason. No, 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 hold on, hold on. See, back then people were just giving a certificate of divorce and saying, hey, you burned my meal or hey, you weren't nice to me, so I want to divorce. No, 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 hold on. I value relationships. You've heard it said, make an oath, you know, but a lot of people were making oaths and then not even keeping them, not even wanting to keep them when they made the oath. They were just making the oath and then going, hey, I'm not even going to keep this. And Jesus is going, no, look at your heart. You know, you've heard it said, he keeps coming back to this and we're gonna see this this morning. You've heard it said, and then he comes down to this. You've heard it said, you know, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. And so when Jesus comes along and he's teaching his disciples, and he's contrasting, hey, there's religion, but I'm calling you to relationship. I'm calling you to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And I'm calling you to love your neighbor. This is different. A lot of people today, they're gonna settle for religion. And yet God is drawing us to so much more. And Jesus sitting on this mountainside, teaching his disciples, you're different, come follow me. Now this morning, we're gonna unpack this as we see verse 17 and verse 48, come to life as we are called to be his disciples and live it out in our day and in our generation. So I've got some stickers for you guys. If you can raise your hand, uh, if you brought your Bible. Or if you were in your seat before the music started, that's like four of you, so I know I've got enough. It's not going to go over so well in the 930, but listen, it's exciting to kind of see these, these passages, these words of Scripture come alive right there on the Sea of Galilee. And, and as Pastor Jeff said in, in his introduction, you know, what we're looking at here in Matthew is, is this incredible teaching where he talks about the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom, as he introduced last week, is different. That we live different lives as a, because we're a part of the kingdom of God, because we've put our faith in Christ. And, and Jesus, what he does in these passages is he turns the religion of our day, or the, the religion and the, and the culture, the ideas of the culture on their head. He talks about, the, he calls them out of religion into relationship. He says beyond righteousness that focuses on the outward, he's calling us to a greater righteousness that focuses on the heart, that focuses inward. And this morning, my prayer for us, and as, as we work through this passage, uh, as Pastor Jeff said, that, that may be familiar for us, is that what is familiar would become fresh and new. And that God in this moment, as we open up his word together, that, that he would speak to our hearts and interrupt the things that we think that we know challenge us and transform us, teach our hearts to fall in love with him. If you have your Bibles, as we said, we're going to open up to Matthew chapter 5 and continue verses 17 through 48. We're going to look at this whole passage and, and what really could be chopped up into a lot of different pieces and each deserving of its own sermon. But what, what's special about looking at this whole section together is that what we see in verses 17 through 48 is Jesus is saying one thing saying that he cares about our hearts. He's focused on our heart, the inward, not just the outward. We're gonna start in verses 17 through 20 and just kinda highlight a couple things from there. So beginning in verse 17, it says this. He says, don't think that I have come to abolish the law. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. To abolish the law and the prophets. And law and the prophets is really shorthand for everything that is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, by any means will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside at one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices the teachings, practices and teaches these commands will be called the great, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus starts by, by saying something, and I'm kind of point out two things that, that are here for us that right off the bat, before we get to kind of the, the, the main part of what he's saying, is first that Jesus affirms the law and the prophets. What Jesus says is that I didn't come to, to throw these things away. I came to affirm them. You know, I, I taught high school for about two years right after Hurricane Katrina uh, kind of turned South Louisiana on, on its head. And so these two years of teaching high school, I became accustomed to recognizing when students in my classroom were, were not understanding or misunderstood what was being communicated, whether it was instructions or a part of the lesson. And honestly, I've kind of seen it here already this morning, so being the common denominator, maybe it's me and not them. <clears throat> but the reality is that what I believe Jesus sees and, and when he talks, when he, when he addresses what he addresses in verses 17 and through 20, seriously, I believe that God begins to see, that Jesus begins to see that there's confusion in the eyes of the disciples and maybe the Pharisees that have gathered there and hear the teachings that he's, that he's been teaching. That throughout the Gospels, the Pharisees, they questioned Jesus and why he was here and what he was up to, his value in the law. They questioned why he didn't obtain or, or follow certain traditions, why he healed on the Sabbath and ate with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus does his fair share throughout the Gospels of criticizing these Pharisees and these scribes on their position as both defenders and keepers of the law. But listen, we shouldn't be confused that his criticism of the individuals it's criticism of the law that, he claimed, that they claim to keep and to guard. Jesus affirms this law and the prophets. Verse 18, he says, Truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, Jesus affirms the law, but not only does he affirm it, tells us that he fulfills the law and the prophets. That Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. And to fulfill means to bring something to completion, to accomplish or to achieve. It's that idea or the reality that, that a dream has been realized. We all know that feeling, that emotion, that joy that comes when a project that we've worked hard on is finished and complete. When an event that we've, we've worked towards pulling off is finished and complete. Uh, this happens during the, the spring and the summer at my house when on Saturdays or Friday afternoons, I, I, I start the lawnmower and I, I mow the grass. And at the end, I stand with my hands on my hips, proud, chest puffed out, right? I set out to make that grass shorter, and I did it. Complete fulfillment. Or my favorite, right, when, when Olympic athletes stand with the gold medal 
on their chest, on the top of that podium, and their, the anthem, the, the, the national anthem plays, and there's tears of joy that stream down their face because all of the work that they had done, all of the, all of the, the energy and effort that they had put towards this moment has been accomplished. They know the fulfillment of all of the training and the hard work and the sacrifice has brought them to this moment. Fulfilled, satisfied. What Jesus says, or if you study the book of Matthew, what, what you see in the book of Matthew is this theme of fulfillment is, is a pretty obvious theme throughout the book of Matthew. That he continues to call back to the reality that what Jesus does is the fulfillment of the prophecies. In, in just a couple of them, he talks about Jesus' birth is the fulfillment of a prophecy from Isaiah that Jesus' family, as they escaped to Egypt, is a fulfillment of a prophecy in Hosea. And Jesus' ministry in Galilee was a fulfillment of the prophecies in Isaiah. Again, over and over, he's declaring that Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus says that he came to fulfill, and this is significant for all of us, because what Christ declares in this moment on the side of this hill to, this, to, to his disciples and those who are looking on is that this is this critical and climactic moment in all of history. When everything from the very beginning, all of the, the pictures that you begin to see, even in the very beginning chapters of Genesis, are all being fulfilled in Jesus, the person and the work of Jesus. He brings all of those things to completion. He's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He fulfills what the prophets spoke about him. He fulfills with his perfect obedience the requirements of the law. He satisfies those requirements of the law and the sacrificial system by giving his own life, being put to death as a punishment that we deserve for our sin. He fulfills the law and the prophets by, by, by being that perfect sacrifice to pay for our sin. And he feel, fulfills the law in us by grace, restoring and redeeming and inviting us into relationship. Away from religion, into relationship by grace through faith. He affirms and he fulfills, but then he begins to teach. And he, what, he says, what he says later is he, he transforms our understanding. He teaches us the way of the kingdom. He teaches us what life is like in the kingdom of God. He flips everything upside down. For many of you that have been to college, you might remember that day when you got that one syllabus, that one class when you received the syllabus on that first day and you were like, <laughs> you want me to do what? I mean, that was all the syllabus that I got, but you, maybe it was just one. It was like, you want me to read this semester? I don't get it. But you look at it and you think, this is impossible. How could we do this? And when Jesus says to the disciples, they had to have the same thought. If you look at verse 20 again, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This would have been shocking for the disciples. It should be shocking for us. I mean, the Pharisees were, the, were the, the leaders. They were the religious leaders. They were protectors of the law. They were the standard bearers. How could they match, much less surpass, the righteousness that the Pharisees had? But remember, these, and remember, these disciples are just regular guys. Pastor Jeff said they're not seminary students. They're not going for their masters. They're not, they're not doctoral students. They're not writing the books. 
right? I mean, some of them are eventually. But they're just fishermen and tradesmen and businessmen. This is a huge requirement. But what we begin to understand is what Jesus is calling the disciples out of religion into relationship, beyond this religious righteousness that focuses on the outward into a greater righteousness that focuses on the heart. Jesus moves, to, moves into these powerful, disruptive, you've heard it said, but I tell you statements to begin to teach us that it's not about the religion but the relationship, to focus on something greater than the outward righteousness into the heart. And if you just kind of walk down through, and we're not going to read that whole section, but just to, just to be reminded of what it says. He says, you've, you've heard it said, don't murder. I mean, this is the sixth commandment. This is not an obscure teaching. They had heard this. All of these men had heard this. Jesus says, I want you to see that underneath that command not to murder, the heart of it is don't be filled with anger or hatred towards someone else that's made in God's image. It's not just the outward expression, but it's the inward, the heart. He says, you've heard it, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, don't let your hearts be filled with lust. And I mean, he says it again, it's, it's a serious commandment. It seems pretty obvious how destructive adultery can be to lives and families. But he says, underneath that command not to commit adultery is something deeper. At the heart of it is don't let your heart be filled with lust. And Jesus is concerned not with just the outward, but with the heart. He continues, he says, you've heard it said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Listen, divorce seems pretty cut and dry. But what Jesus is saying is that underneath all of the, the surface and the messiness and the complexities of that divorce, there's a hardness of heart that's a reality there. And what Jesus is, is, is calling them to is not only, not only that underneath that is, is that there's a protection for women who, who are easily divorced by husbands who would just walk in and say, you, didn't, you burnt my dinner. You didn't treat me the way I wanted to be treated. And what we walk away from this is the heart of it is saying, Jesus saying, I value relationship. I value this relationship and the sanctity of marriage, the commitment that's there. He's called us to love our spouse and not be fooled by this cultural idea that it's just about being happy, happy. And that's not just something that happened back then. That was happening in Jesus' day. And it's obvious because he had to address it right here. He's calling us to a different standard. And it's not just an outward, but an inward of love and commitment. What I, what I believe that we leave this passage with is that encouragement to fight for our marriages to fight for our marriages and do the work of, of growing healthy marriages. Some of us would say that we would take a bullet for our kids and maybe we need to stop dodging bullets and start working on our marriage. The heart of the passage. And listen, there's forgiveness. I know that in this room and in the next hour and the next hour, there's gonna be plenty who have walked through or been affected by divorce. There's forgiveness for sin. There's forgiveness for these places that we've fallen or maybe we, we know that something's happened. God forgives and there's grace. But the heart of it is that he desires for those relationships to be, commit, to be committed, to love each other. He goes on, he says, don't break your oath. 
He says, but I tell you, don't swear by an oath. Let your yes be yes. If you go later in Matthew, he teaches that these oaths are just ways to manipulate to get what you want. He said, listen, don't, don't swear by anything. You're just swearing so that you get what you want. It's a heart issue. You don't even, you don't even thinking about actually doing what you're swearing. Just let your yes be yes. And the way of the kingdom is different. We're not manipulating to get what we want. We're letting our yes be yes. He talks about retaliation. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say resist the person. If one slaps you on the right cheek, turn and give him the other also. This is a hard issue about the way that we respond when we feel like we've been hurt. When we feel like we've been wrong, that we trust God and see that he knows and sees and is able to provide and protect. It's a heart issue. Lastly, the famous one, that love your enemy. You've heard it said to love your enemy or to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love the one who loves you, what reward will you get? Even the tax collectors do that. I mean, it's obvious that this is about a heart. This is about what God's doing in our heart. It's focused on our heart, not just an outward expression. Because it's easy to love the people who love us. It's easy to be kind to the people who are around us that, that we love and who care for us, but it's not necessarily easy. It's a heart issue to love those who don't love us, who are against us, who are different than us. What I wanna do just for, for the last, last couple of minutes as we're here together is just really kind of focus in on a couple things just to kind of wrap our minds around, to help us take this, what, what God's calling us out of this religious righteousness, this outward righteousness into a righteousness that comes from the heart. What, what does that look like and how do we get there I believe there's a couple things that we can find in this passage. And ultimately, the question that we're all asking is, what does it mean to be good? The question that the Pharisees are asking, that the disciples are asking, that everyone really from the beginning of time is asking is, what does it mean to be good? It's the work of philosophers and thinkers to tell us what, what it means to be good. Every religion tells us what it means to be good, but all of them are focused on the outside. Jesus is going to focus on the inside. More often than not, they focus on what we do and what we say, but Jesus wants us to focus on what is on the inside. And so what he says is that it's not enough to focus on the outward. To really understand this is not enough to focus on, on the outward. He highlights this, Jesus highlights this human tendency to make righteousness this external matter, to be simply about the things that we do without looking at our hearts. For all the efforts of the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus is having this, that Jesus has conversations with throughout the Gospels, to make sure that they do the right things and say the right things, Jesus gives this scathing review about them. He says that you are whitewashed tombs, clean and beautiful on the outside, but dead on the inside. It's not enough to just focus on the outward, to clean up the outside, because if we don't focus on the heart, what Jesus says is we may be clean out here, presentable out here, but dead on the inside. 
Jesus says about the Pharisees in Matthew 15 that you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. It's sobering for each of us to realize that we can live lives that on the outside appear to honor God, but our hearts be far from him. It's not enough to focus on the outside, just to look on the outside. What we see is Jesus is interested in our hearts. Jesus is interested in your heart. He says that, he says, you haven't committed murder, that's great, good job. But is your heart filled with hatred and bigotry and bitterness towards others? He says, you haven't committed adultery, great, it's a devastating sin, but is your heart filled with lust? I'm worried about your heart, not just the outside, but the inside. He says, you love people who love you good. Even the tax collectors do that. Anybody can do that. How about loving even those who are against you, who seek your harm? Because that's how God loves. God loves his enemies. The thing about, about this passage is to make sure that we understand or else we'll fall into the same, the same trap that the Pharisees did in misunderstanding is that Jesus in this passage is not talking about those who are about descriptions or requirements for entering the kingdom of God. He's not saying if you do these things, then you'll be accepted by Christ and that you'll have a relationship with him. He's saying, no, this is the outworking of a relationship that's already happened on the inside. For those of us who have trusted Christ for salvation, these are the outworkings, the inward reality that becomes the outward reality for us. The way that we live is a result of what God has already done on, our, on the inside and in transforming our hearts. So we have to look at our hearts and ask, has our heart been transformed by the gospel? It's a call for us to, to, to explore and to look inside of our hearts and say, God, have I trusted you for salvation? And if I have, then, then I want my life to look more like you from the inside out. On the other side, maybe in that exploring our hearts, we realize that we haven't trusted. And that all of our efforts to look clean on the outside have left us wanting. And, and what we truly need is to put our faith in Jesus who transforms our heart and gives us a new heart and makes us new. There's good news and there's bad news when we talk about really understanding our hearts and seeking the or looking on the inside that Jesus sees and cares about our hearts. He's not trying to shame you. He's inviting you into the full life of the kingdom. So the bad news is that Jesus sees your heart. Hebrews said that there's, Hebrews 4.13 says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who we must give account. The good news is the same, that Jesus sees and he cares about your heart. He's not trying to shame you. He's inviting you into the full life that's, a, that's available in the kingdom in relationship with him. And God, our creator, knows us. He knows who we are. Most of us don't want to look at our hearts because we're afraid of what we're going to find there. We treat our hearts kind of like we treat car maintenance. Some of you are really good at this, but some of us will just put a little piece of tape over that little thing. I don't do this personally. It's not a confession. So we don't see it. 
If we don't look at it, if we don't, if we don't look at the, 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 the indicators there on our, on our dashboard, then we don't think that there's actually something wrong with the engine. But it doesn't take away the fact that something's wrong there. We're afraid of what we'll find there, but what we'll find as we search our hearts is that right in the middle of that is that Jesus died to rescue us. That a God who loves us and cares for us, that while we were yet sinners, it says, Christ died for you. That while we were enemies, Christ came after us. That no matter what we find in our hearts, what we also find as we search our hearts is grace to meet us there. And a grace that restores and renews. Jesus took upon himself the pain and the suffering, the shame that, that some of us experience. compassionately for those who have put their faith in him. He's working by the power of his spirit to renew you, to make you look more like him. As he's changed your heart, he's beginning to make your life line up with what he's changed in you. The last thing that I believe we find in this passage is that Jesus is interested in the best version of you. You know, this is one of those things that I've seen over the past couple of weeks and social media and, and, and it's not just past couple of weeks, past couple of years, this, this rise of this phrase, the best version of yourself, right? We all want to be the best, best version of, of ourselves and did a little research this week and just searched on Google and uh, typing in this phrase, there's 1.5 billion resources for us to find the best version of ourselves. You won't be surprised that even, even Oprah has gotten in on the game. I went through all 1.5 billion and here's what I can tell you. That there's only one who truly desires the best version. And if you look in this passage, what Jesus says in the very end of chapter five, verse 40 says, he says, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. Perfect in this passage, what he means is complete and mature, whole, completely satisfied in Christ, living in obedience to God and his word that flows from our hearts. That's the best version of ourselves. Christ is the one who created us. He breathed life into us in the garden. It was broken by sin, but he came to restore that we could have relationship with him and walk in that relationship with him in obedience to him, not from just the outside, but from the inside. And that's the best version of all of us. So many of us live in this place where, where we wrestle with this inward turmoil and this uneasiness over this lack of satisfaction of who we are or where we are. And foundationally, it's because while we might look great on the outside, our hearts are broken on the inside. We may have cleaned it up really well out here, on the inside, it's a mess. Jesus invites us into a relationship with him, away from religion of just cleaning up the outside into a relationship where he cleans the inside and makes us whole. He invites us out of this outward display into an inward where he worries about, where he's concerned about our hearts and he renews. And Ezekiel says he gives us a new heart desires to follow after him. 
going to pray and we're going to close this morning. Laura's going to come and take our offering and we're going to sing a couple of songs just in response to what God's doing in this, in this moment. And one of, the, one of the realities is that sometimes one of the best ways for us to not deal with what's in our hearts is by getting really involved in what's happening in places like this. Get really invested in going to church and being involved in church and even raising our hands when the songs come on, but never really dealing with what's going on the inside, what's going on on our inside. We look great on the outside. Nobody's stepping in to say, how's your heart? Because our hands were raised, right? Because we're serving in preschool. And who serves in preschool if their heart's not right? So don't let this morning pass without letting these t- this time that we sing these songs together be a place for us to dig into what God's doing in your heart. And if it means that you need to trust him for salvation, then we would love to have that conversation with you. If it means that he's working in your heart and he's bringing you to repentance, that, that, listen, he's compassionately exposing those places to draw you back into relationship, into wholeness, into the best version of yourself. It's way beyond stickers. Into a life that's transformed by his gospel. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your word, for your sacrifice, for the fulfillment that you say you brought. You came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And that in fulfilling, you invite us into relationship with you, where you restore our hearts and make us new. Father, deal with us this morning. Let us do the good work looking in our hearts, not being afraid of what we'll find there because when, we've, when we dig in, we know that you meet us there with grace. We love you, Father. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.